Hello, and welcome to our continuing series of Better Business Interviews. Better businesses are those that are driven by purpose to use business as a force for good, for positive change, for people and planet. Throughout this series, we are chatting with key people in these organisations and finding out why they do what they do. This week, I've been joined by Stefan Berm from the University of Exeter. Now, the University of Exeter is a public research university based in the southwest of England. A member of the Russell Group of Universities, it has the motto, Lucem Sequima, we follow the light, which I thought was quite nice, uh, set, sets the tone. Um, alumni include Sajid Javid, who is currently the, U, currently the UK Secretary of State for Health and Social Care at Recording, but more importantly, JK Rowling. Um, Stefan is a professor in organisation and sustainability at the University of Exeter's Business School. Prior to joining Exeter five years ago, Stefan has held various positions with universities in Sweden, Scotland, Austria, Denmark and Brazil. There might be others. And as if that wasn't enough, he's also co-founder and co-editor of the open access publishing press Mayfly Books. With credentials like those, we need to hear what he's passionate about. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Russell. Nice to be here. So uh, I like to ask an elephant in the room question, which is sometimes a little bit glib. But in this particular case, it's a bit tricky. I'd like to know, what is sustainability? How would you define sustainability? That's a big question to uh, to ease me into the conversation. Thanks for <laughs> that's right. You're welcome. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's a bit it's a big one because um, it, it it potentially encompasses everything. So I, the way I normally approach sustainability is through what is sometimes called the triple bottom line approach. Yeah. So it's got an economic dimension, it's got a social dimension, and it's got an ecological or environmental dimension. Yeah. Uh, the environmental dimension we can sort of define by what are called the planetary boundaries. I don't know whether you've heard of that. It's, it's basically um, research coming out of Sweden originally um, from more than 10 years ago now, um, where scientists have kind of defined you know what, what's the ecological safe operating system the planet can operate in right yeah so you know what, what what's a healthy ecosystem plan you know from the planetary perspective so so you know biodiversity uh you know healthy water seas uh healthy air uh you know the ozone layer the um the water cycles, the carbon cycles, the phosphate and nitrogen cycles, you know, all of this is describing the health, the ecological health of, of, of the planet. Mm. And if we think of it, these cycles, then all sorts of things are happening and we're reaching tipping points now uh, in, in, in a variety of these areas where, you know, we don't know, we are entering uncharted territory, we don't know what's going to happen afterwards, yeah. right? Um, the social aspect is well described with the Sustainable Development Goals of the UN. So there are many of these goals which define basically the safe operating principles, if you like, in the societal sphere. So things like, you know, everybody should have a livelihood, you know, work, uh, you know, clean water, um, um, you know, access to food, etc etc so these are the social aspects mm -hmm. uh, and then the economic aspects are important as well because you know we we all need to make a living livelihood is important um and you know we to be full, fully human as it were we need to have an economic base and economic stability so so these three aspects for me if they work in in harmony with each other uh, should describe a sustainable system is that is that good enough for you I think that's great. I mean, obviously, the triple bottom line and uh, is is very very popular with the B Corp uh, environment. You know that I'm familiar with because our business is a B Corp as well. So yeah, that 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 sits nicely. And I, I like the alliterative people, planet, and prosperity over profit. But I get your point. We can't we can't live without that money system. 
as it stands, it would if it wasn't money, it'd be bartering. That would just be a different type of economics. And I mean, on that on that point, um, and 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 kind of crossing over into the business area, that that profit bit, that prosperity bit. There's a there's an undertow of some of the things you've written and others have written that the capitalism's kind of broken. Do you, is that the way you see it? Do you, do you think we're looking, we're sitting on the edge of a, a new form of economics that's facing us? Well, I think there's no doubt that capitalism in its current business as usual way is completely broken. Um, you know, we just need to look at uh, these three, uh, you know, triple bottom line dimensions that I mentioned, you know, in all of these three things, you know, the, the, the system that we've invented and in historical terms, you know, this is this is you know, it's it's been two hundred fifty uh, odd years. Um, you know, during that time, we've been talking about uh, capitalism. It's you know, it's it's a blink of an eye, historically speaking. It's a very very new system that we, you know, the collective we have invented, um, and, and in this country, in, in the UK, in, in in particular. So. Um, you know, un un unfortunately, on on you know, in these three dimensions, you know, there's so much evidence out there that the current uh, system that we call capitalism has, um, you know, has found its limits. Uh, and and you know, the way we produce food is not sustainable. The way we run societies uh, is not sustainable. Um, uh, and, and, and the way we run our economies is, is not sustainable. And, you know, on a daily basis, we, you know, we can see in all of these domains so many, um, not just problems, but, but uh, you know, grave, grave injustices and emergencies mm. where, where one really needs to rethink what economic and social system one wants to uh, live in and, and 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 I think we urgently need to find a, a way to live in, in much more harmony with with nature uh, and we need uh, to find much more you know just uh, societies and and economies and the, the thing is we don't need to invent this you know there, there's so many signs out there there's so much evidence out there that um, uh, alternatives, don't just exist but they've been thriving sometimes for hundreds of years and so one of the books i i i published uh it's called eco cultures is, mm -hmm. is looked is looked at that looked at uh cultures we call them eco cultures um communities essentially that live uh in a much more harmonious uh, harmonious way with nature and and with each other essentially so of course there are uh, indigenous communities yeah. Um, which, which sometimes existed um, for, for thousands of years, but of course they've been they've been under threat um, through our modern way of life and the expansion of, of our system, as it were. But they're also what are called new intentional communities um, uh, that emerged in, in the so-called first world. Uh, in, in you know in, in 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 this country, for example, there are many eco villages around. Many years ago, I visited Wales. There's a community called Lamas there, who who were given the right by the Welsh government to to build their houses on 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 agricultural land because, which would normally not be possible, but because they agreed to make a living from the land. So these are intentional new communities um, um, that sometimes been in existence for 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 decades, and they've shown that an alternative, different way of running societies and economies is possible. So I mean that that's I mean that's a fascinating uh, thought, really, because the, the the concept of community. We we when we think glibly of communities, we think of our town, or we think of our city, or we uh, we might think of a, a a more social grouping, which might be I don't know Facebook is a community. They aren't real communities, are they? Because well, a real community would act in in harmony with each other. Is is growth our problem? Is it the fact that we just permanently want to grow bigger, faster, older? <laughs> and is that the problem that that we're doing in all of these areas, social, um, economic, and environmental? Well, growth in itself is not the enemy. Growth. Uh, it depends what kind of growth. Um, so personal growth 
is is another form of growth. It is community growth is another form of growth. I'm 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 co-running a project here in Cornwall called Tevi. Um, Tevi in Cornish means growth. Yeah. Uh, and 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 what we're actually after is is environmental growth, and we're using circular economy mechanisms to bring about environmental growth, which is the council's strategy to essentially regenerate and and rejuvenate uh, natural ecosystems in in Cornwall. Because you know we've we've done unfortunately very well in in trashing the place through a whole range of extractive industries, uh, you know, over 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 centuries. So we need to regrow. We need to have a net positive um, impact on the environment now because we've basically done damage for for sometimes um, uh, hundreds of years. So so growth itself is not a problem. But if growth means simply economic growth and particularly GDP growth, because mm -hmm. that's a very you know what we call growth, and everybody talks about. Uh, growth and what they really mean is GDP growth. It's it's you know it's that acronym, yeah. gross domestic product. It's a particular way of measurement, which which is very narrow. You know it's it's like you know it's like going through life, uh, in you know in this kind of way. You know you only see what you want to see: GDP, 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 and and you forget about everything else. Yeah. The, the social dimensions, the the wider economic dimensions. Uh, other than GDP and 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 the ecological uh, impacts you're creating, so so I would argue for you know a, a, a new way of defining uh, GDP. We desperately need new measures to um, to define success. Yeah, and uh, and so that would be yeah that would be that would be my answer uh, to 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 the question of of growth. We know we really need the treasury. Uh, those with the purse strings in government, they really need to look at other measures than just GDP uh, and and other narrow measures, and and that's quite urgent now, uh, which 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 has become clear again in, um, you know, in in the pandemic. So as much as it takes a mindset change with a community to perhaps like the the community in Wales to to become self sustaining, uh, there's a mindset change needed. At, at a political level, is that what you're saying? Uh, no, abs absolutely. So I, I, I tend to see things from the bottom up as well as from the from the top down. So we need we need both. We need sort of uh, you know the, the local thinking as well as the global thinking. Yeah. Um, locally, it's really important that we think in terms of place based approaches to do uh, our business. Just this morning, I was writing a paper on place-based corporate sustainability approaches right so we've been talking about sustainability within the business sector for you know for donkey's years yeah. um but what i was writing in that paper together with the with a exeter colleague um uh, what we are arguing is that we need actually um embed this sustainability thinking in a particular place so what we do here in cornwall will be very different to what people do in Texas. What people do in Texas will be very different to what people do uh, in the Mame, uh, Mapuche area of southern Chile, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so place is really important because place is important for that triple bottom line thinking because ecosystems are unique, yep. social systems are unique. And the way we do business and the way we 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 earn our livelihoods will be very different depending on the different economic, social, historical settings, as well as the ecosystem that we are embedded in. Right. So we you know whether we are placed in a desert in a very arid area, or whether we're in a lush um, um, area of of Dartmoor, is is very very different. So. So we need to really think in these kind of uh, um, place-based dimensions. But of course, uh, you know, you talked about uh, politics and the mindset there. So what, what happens in Whitehall in this country, of course, matters. The, yeah. the laws yeah. matters. Who, who's in charge matters. So we need enabling frameworks. We need policies that enable local communities to, to, to thrive 
to give local producers of food access to supply chains. We need, you know, so so the, the, the NHS, uh, you know, has been doing a fantastic job throughout the pandemic, but but the food we are served in, in NHS hospitals is supplied by global corporations, mm. while the local producer down the road has no chance of supplying the local hospital because it doesn't have the, uh, the capabilities um, to, to, to bring their produce into that very complex supply chain. So there, there are structural issues that only governments can solve, you know, yeah. whether we have local well-intended communities, you know, is, is kind of neither here nor there. So we, we, we kind of need need both. And that's what I'm always trying to, to do and, and, and think through and do in practice as well. Yeah, I mean, straddling society against that, that well, the business organisation, I suppose, it, it's politics that tends to sit in the middle there, isn't it, that straddles those two worlds of trying to um, get the business community to do what's right for the for the people and in, and what we're now needing more and more is, is the planet as well the looking at business and you used a phrase about positive impact positive climate impact i think it was there's lots of stuff about being high impact or low impact or no impact or net zero or carbon neutral what what's what's your I mean, this is a very broad statement, but what, let's take net zero as an example. What, what's your feelings behind net zero as a target? Well, two, two, two things. Um, I think it's great that now uh, everybody is thinking about climate change again. Uh, you know, there was a lull of, of, you know, six, seven, eight years where, you know, uh, climate change didn't really feature very much. Yeah. Um, uh, and now, you know, for the last two or so years, you know, uh, because of the, the, the activism showed by David Attenborough, by Greta Thunberg and, and many others, you know, we are now talking about it and we are pushing companies, countries, communities, we're pushing people to really bring that back into their uh, consciousness and, and really do something about it. So, so that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say net zero is, is potentially problematic because some of these net zero pledges sometimes um, basically make promises that, that can't be um, defined and, and uh, made very clear because these promises sometimes you know, reach 20, 30 years uh, into the future. Yeah. So whoever makes a, a promise of what's happening in, in 30 years from now, i.e. you know, net zero by 2050, without actually putting a, you know, a mandatory, a clear policy in place of how we reach that is, is, is kind of um, not really credible. No. So, no. so, you know, lots of big companies have come out to pledge net zero uh, emissions. Um, as I said, it's great that they're now talking about climate change again, but often we don't have the details. The small print is simply not available. Uh, and often these pledges depend on technologies that uh, have either been uh, proven not to work. For, um, for example, carbon capture and storage, the industry has been talking for at least 20 years, I'm aware, has been talking about CCS, carbon capture and storage. And around the world, we haven't really got large scale uh, evidence that this is actually working without massive subsidies by, by governments. Um, or it's dependent on, on technology that hasn't been invented yet, right? So Microsoft, just at the start of the pandemic last year, made this huge pledge, we're going to be, um, uh, they didn't actually say net, net zero, they, they said we're going to be carbon negative. Um, um, and, and they wanted to basically uh, take carbon out of the atmosphere, um, not just um, future carbon, i.e. what they're emitting from now on, but all the carbon um, uh, that they've emitted since they were launched in the mid-1970s. So big pledge, but it was all based on technology that doesn't exist yet. So that's not really credible. And so we need, you know, we need um, 
uh, you know, we need credible plans really. And and the net, the net is really, really important. And that's where my interest of carbon offsetting comes in. Unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, the net in the net zero uh, basically means that we will see uh, a huge uptake in, in carbon offsetting strategies. Yeah. Um, be, 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 because, and, you know, um, um, uh, Carney, the, the, the former um, Bank of England governor, uh, he, he, he's kind of championing that carbon offsetting, carbon market approach. He's kind of formed an um, all singing and dancing task force to, to, to kind of push the carbon market agenda and, and basically saying, you know, voluntary carbon offsets uh, will be, you know, a multi-billion pound opportunity, business opportunity, and, and is really trying to push that forward. And uh, what, what I've done amongst many other uh, colleagues, academics, and, 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 and others um, over the last, well, 15, 20 years, really, um, basically collated evidence, analyzed evidence of looking at how these carbon offsetting projects actually work and and unfortunately the site is not always always pretty because um these these carbon offsetting projects are 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 not always you know delivering the goods and not always really um alluring our overall carbon emissions it's a complicated uh, story to tell because it's really down to the nitty-gritty looking at what's happening on the on the ground uh, because a lot of these carbon off offsets work by, you know, a company in the global north, you know, putting a million pounds into a project that they might have never visited on the yeah. other side of the world. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so there's this huge distance often uh, between the people who, who, who emit the carbon and those who are supposed to offset the carbon. And, you know, all sorts of fraud, all sorts of... Um, creative accounting is happening in the process in, in, in that distance, which, which uh, has kept us and will keep us busy uh, in terms of analyzing this from an academic point of view for, for years to come. Um, but there's a book I published on that more than 10 years in, ago now uh, called yeah. Upsetting the Offset, which, which kind of is an introduction to that debate. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I saw that one and uh, I, th I think it was a great quote um, from Stefano Harney about that book. He said, if you wondered whether capitalism could ever produce the perfect weapon of its own destruction, try this heady mix of carbon fuels, the trade in financial derivatives, and a more than a dash of neo-colonialism, and boom. And uh, uh, so a great, <laughs> great, basically, we, we're, we're heading off down a road of offsetting and putting, you know, there was a lot of people all about the offsetting. I was offset everything. I'll buy, you know, £12 a year or £12 a month on trees and I'll set all my flying for the rest of my life or you know and is it a is it realistic and I I think it's a, a fascinating subject you're you're right I wouldn't want to say that there is no way to offset using tree you know using trees for the future but a poorly managed scheme will see you know a million trees halved in 10 years because they died due to mismanagement or a poor mix of eco-cultures or as 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 in many areas of, of of life it's it's all down to the governance and how things are, are are shaped and controlled and monitored and and who has a say in these things so, so yeah so carbon offsetting itself is not evil but the no. way it is managed the way it is done the, the way it's monitored the way the carbon is accounted uh, who wins and who loses out? So there are all these kind of nitty-gritty details that that um, that let you know let many of these schemes down. Um, I mean, there are you know there there are some brilliant ideas uh, of of some really localized community place-based offsetting schemes, yep. which which could work quite well because you don't have that distance. You know, you 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 can talk to people actually people living in the same place uh, and you can do some really good stuff um, in a place-based approach but but unfortunately that's not often what what is happening and 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 what you know Carney's uh, task force has 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 in mind so 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mark Carney, you mentioned there that, that kind of, and I know we're doing a whistle stop tour of a whack load of subjects here. Maybe we'll have to revisit some of them at some point. But carbon trading um, is a is an, a difficult thing to get your head round. I mean, this is a tall order for you. Can you can you give us a simple appraisal of what carbon trading actually is and why perhaps a, a, a business would need to look at it? Sure, sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I teach. You know, I teach two hours of just on carbon trading to my students. So just to tell you the the the, uh, the uh, um, yeah, give you an overview in two in two minutes is is really a tall order. But but yeah. you know, in 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 a nutshell is. I mean, there are some, uh, basically there's, there are voluntary schemes and there are mandatory schemes. So um, until recently, we were part of the EU, of course, uh, and, and the EU is running the biggest emissions trading system, ETS of, of the world. And that's a mandatory system. So there's, there are laws uh, in place where if you have if you have a certain size, you know, if you run a power station or you are big steel works, you need to be part of that trading system. Mm. And what and what the governments uh, and the EU in this case, the, the Commission basically sets is a so so called cap. It's also called a cap in trade system. So so the EU basically says, okay, here's the cap of whatever it is. Uh, call it, you know, 100, uh, 100 tons of CO2. That's what you're allowed to emit. Anything yeah. above it, uh, you know, if you emit more, then essentially you need to buy uh, carbon permits, uh, which basically costs you real money, and you need to buy it on the open uh, carbon market. And and yeah, that's that's your mandatory requirement to to essentially then uh, buy these permits because you're emitted more than you're allowed to. If you're if you're under that cap, then uh, you can sell permits. You can make money. So that's the the idea is that you are then incentivized to to essentially um, uh, lower your emissions because you have this money incentive of selling permits. This only works if the cap is is set at the right level. So mm. for many years, through lobbying and, and genuine concerns for, for livelihoods uh, and, and basically industry flight overseas, the cap was not set uh, in the right way. So essentially the carbon price, so basically the higher the cap, the lower the carbon price, the lower the cap, the higher the carbon price, right? Yeah. Um, so, so the carbon price for many, many years uh, was far too low for being, you know, for, for, for being a transformational uh, kind of incentive, right? Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so that's the mandatory carbon trading system. Um, and for that, you need strong political leadership to work. You need, uh, you know, the Paris Climate Agreement to work and not just being uh, essentially nice uh, words, but, but actually um, actual real legal requirements for countries to, to, to lower their emissions. Mm. Uh, but on top of that, you then have voluntary systems where basically through CSR, corporate social responsibility, or essentially a CEO or, or managers wanting to do the right thing. And they want to tell the customers, okay, when you buy this product or you take this flight with us, you don't emit any carbon. So EasyJet, for example, um, you know, aviation was until recently not part of the EU ETS. So EasyJet, just before the pandemic, brought in a voluntary scheme where they said, you know, if you, you know, if you take any flight with us, your carbon emissions will be offset, right? So that's a voluntary scheme. And then they basically take their money uh, and, and invest it in, in offsetting projects. So that's a voluntary scheme. That's basically CSR. That's what they want yeah. to do. And these systems have always existed side by side. And often the voluntary ones are, of course, less monitored. You know, sometimes the, you know there have been very, very few standards. You know, anybody can offer you know offer an offset, as it were. The mandatory EU or UN controlled systems, of course, uh, are, are more stringent and, and more monitored. Oh, interesting. I mean, you talk about the cap, 
um, being lowered and at the right position to make that a, a big enough incentive, one, to drop below the cap, uh, and two, to pay as little as you, you can above it. Uh, the carbon price, as I've seen it, has, has doubled in the last six months. Um, now, uh, I mean, is that because we're coming out of COVID and, and the we're, we're moving back to pre-COVID levels of, of carbon emissions or is there something else at work and suddenly real actually that carbon price is starting to naturally level out? There was some talk that it could go as high as $100 sitting at around $51 now. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, so indeed, the carbon price has increased, not just over the last half year, but over the last two years. And, and you, know, they, they, you know, again, we could talk hours uh, yeah. about why that has happened, but essentially, it, you know, it's, 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 it's a supply and demand thing. So, yeah. so there's much more demand now for, for um, carbon products, essentially. Because the whole world is 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 suddenly waking up to to uh, climate change uh, again. There's a lot more uh, talk about it, but not just talk. But you know, governments are moving in the right direction. There are many more laws uh, around, and many companies uh, now realize we really need to do something about mm. this. You know, it can't just be put at the bottom of our CSR report, you know, we really need to show our investors now that we're doing the right thing here. So in, in the financial jargon, it's called ESG. ESG means, um, stands for environment, uh, social and governments, governance. So it's basically all the non-economic uh, things that are becoming ever more important. Yeah. Um, so there are many hedge funds, there are many uh, investor funds now that are really focusing on, on ESG. And there's a real you know, drive of demand for 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 carbon climate change related financial products, and that's that's part of why why uh, the price has increased. And and you know that's a good thing. Uh, we you know the problem is we needed that really twenty years ago or, or 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 thirty years ago. You know, I've always argued that if you if you run carbon markets properly. They're properly monitored, and you you have a real political leadership, real political intention. Then essentially, they should work as a carbon tax, right? So you successfully yeah. bring down um, the, ca the the cap that I mentioned. So each year or every two or three years, the cap goes down, and you tell everyone that's what you're doing. So actually, you know, the the price is increasing or is kept high and everybody knows what you're talking about and and it basically acts as a carbon tax for the most carbon intensive industries um un unfortunately that hasn't happened so the hope is now and the eu has recently uh um you know come up with with plans to include shipping to include aviation in its ets and and there's real new political leadership now to to do something uh, but we've been there here before, you know, we, we had a lot of uh, political leadership around climate change. Uh, I remember it well, you know, uh, in the run up to, to the Copenhagen Climate Change Conference in 2009. So in the period between 2004 and 2009, in these five years, everybody was talking about climate change. BP changed its name to Beyond Petroleum uh, during that time because it was so important to show that they're moving beyond petroleum. Um, and, 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 and we're still here, you know, um, almost, almost 20 yeah. years later, uh, and, 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 you know, and fossil fuel is still uh, king. Uh, yeah, there's, I've been thinking of a whole stack of questions out of what you just said. But I mean, again, we haven't, um, got the length of time that you need to talk about it all and perhaps people need to uh, catch up with you, you <laughs> yourself in some of your um, the sessions that I know you've got planned with Tevi and other organizations but th th there's this horrendous balance isn't it you put carbon tax on people you put it on things like petroleum like aviation fuel you end up moving that tax will have to be set offset by the price rise to the consumers consumer won't be able to travel as much they won't be own their own car they'll be forced to drive or buy a uh, a more economical car which might cost more because 
you know, you're you're taxing mining. You know, it, it's such a complex game, isn't it? I can see why that bar couldn't move too often. Yeah. Is you mentioned earlier about Greta Thunberg and um, uh, and David Attenborough as, as probably the two of the more visible media-based activists, and we we know there are perhaps the more extreme bodies of activism like um, Extinction Rebellion, Greenpeace, maybe um, who who take some very 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 um, severe actions, and corporate activism is on the rise. Is, is that what we should all be? Should we all be activists? Should all businesses be activists? Or, or is there no room for that? Well, I mean, I'm, it's, I think there's a lot of climate activism out there, everywhere. So I've got a book coming out with a Swedish colleague of mine and where we argue precisely that. Yeah. that activism, climate activism is happening in all spheres of, of society and in all spheres of business. Um, so we've done interviews uh, and, and analyses in, in big companies, you know, big utilities, um, in, in smaller companies, in communities, in uh, state uh, governmental organizations like local councils. And we've mapped uh, the climate activism in all of these spheres. And it, 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 it was really a, you know, a, a positive story that you know, we were quite um, surprised to find that level of activism and really outspoken people who really say, okay, we really need to change our way of doing things. We, business as usual is not an option anymore. Um, and, and, you know, we really need to uh, not just change our way, but we need to have a radical change. You know, they were really radical in their thinking and, and their, and their, and their action as well. So, um, and of course, companies have come out as activists as well. CEOs have come out as, as climate activists. Um, uh, Larry Fink, for example, he's the CEO of BlackRock. He's one of the uh, big, big fund managers in, in the US. You know, he's, he's warning its investors as well as the companies he's invested in. Uh, you know, every year and saying, you know, we need to take climate change and the big ecological dimensions of life very, very seriously. And if you're on the right, wrong side of the debate, um, you know, uh, think again, because you, you know, you, you'll be uh, a dinosaur uh, in due course. So, so, you know, lots of, lots of um, signs in that direction. But, but of course, the, the story is a more complicated one. Um, you know, not not all, not all activist talk is 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 activist action. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes activist talk is used for you know corporate relations purposes. Sometimes it's used for marketing purposes, building a brand. You know, there are a lot of brands out there who who want that kind of radical cheek kind of edge to it because yeah. they want to talk to the young generation, right? So if you talk to the young generation, you know, you need to uh, sound different. You need to sound resistant. You need to sound uh, different. And, 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 and that's what some of these emerging brands are, are, are doing. And many of them are trying to underpin that by real action. But of course, they're finding it hard to, to doing the right thing if they, you know, if they need to make uh, not just profits, but, but actually, you know, having a profit curve that goes up. Right, because that's just what the system and what's the stock market often demanding. It's kind of exponential growth, exponential um, growth in, in 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 profits and 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 revenues. So it's it's that sort of underlying uh, system that gets in the way of 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 us doing the right thing. I think many people instinctively want to do the right thing, uh, and that instinct, that that culture came through so very very clearly in the pandemic, where you know lots of people felt and <clears throat> we end this together you know we we we're in the community let's help each other out uh and in moments of crisis the community spirit often comes through um but then i uh, you know the, the, the rebound uh has started already and and I'm, I'm sure uh i'm sure you know for example sticking with carbon you know un unfortunately carbon emissions 
will see a rebound quite dramatically uh, because we are celebrating <coughs> things like Jeff Bezos going, you know, going into low orbit uh, yesterday with this massive fossil fuel um, um, uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, if we made it into space on electric, we might love him a bit more, might we? Um, yeah, I mean, let's not get into the race for space, isn't it? We, we've, we've done enough. Damage. You always get the feeling that the, the, they've damaged the world enough. So let's let's spend all our money and getting out of there. There's there there's that cynical there's that cynical view, unfortunately. You know, as we as we wreck our Earth and there there are less um, things we can explore and discover on our Earth because we have turned it upside down already. You know, let's just explore and um, wreck other places. I mean, it's that's a cynical view. Uh, of course, there's science, you know, there's important science that space has given us and uh, their, uh, you know, genuine, humane and, and important uh, purposes for going to space. But uh, uh, space tourism, I don't think is part of that. Uh, tend to agree. Now, in, in, your, in your last comment, you did circle back around to the fact that capitalism actually to a certain extent, the, the seeking for profit and the, those exponential growths of profit is what tends to, to draw the eye of the CEO, especially of the bigger businesses who are trying to serve their shareholders and give them their biggest dividend or biggest return. Um, you may be aware of it, the Better Business Act campaign that's going on at the moment, which is looking to change section 172 of the Companies Act to um, put in some uh, legal principles to empower directors to advance the interests of all stakeholders, not just the shareholders. Is that the kind of change that business needs to make or is there other stuff that we should be looking at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great bottom-up um, kind of activist campaign where, where B Corps uh, and, 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 and other activists yeah, would like to see positive change um, and, and as I said, the pandemic has really galvanized uh, views around that and, and really want, you know, many people want to build back better, as, as the saying goes. And, and that's, you know, that's a good thing. And the B Corp, the B Corps, you know, I've, I've met many B Corps uh, here, here, here in Cornwall, um, you know, fantastic people wanting to do the right thing and, and having a change of legislation is, is you know, is a, is a good thing. Um, you know, it's it's. I think it's one approach. Uh, you know, one can, you know, one one can be a little bit critical about the B Corp uh, uh, approach uh, in as far as that sometimes um, it's you know it's a paper based kind of um, um, tick box exercise where you kind of you know you, you you pledge your things and you do your analysis and 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 you you're driven in the, in, in the right direction, but in the end it's a kind of a nice thing to have incremental approach which 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 um which is great and i think it's it's good to have that and if we can uh scale that out uh, and 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 um uh, really build a movement of 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 uh, corporate activists in that way then then that's great that's great mm -hmm. uh, and some bigger companies are now listening and wanting to do to do the right thing but i think what we you know and, and change comes from the bottom up, yeah. um, and 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 I hope that change can really um, bring about uh, more radical action in 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 in, in the long term. So, but but um, but the underlying you know the 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 underlying pressures of producing exponential growth rates are you know are still are still in still place right. and yeah. and. And these are global. These are global ones, and they are enshrined in in all sorts of global treaties. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you just look at the um, the WTO, for example, you know, in terms of trading rules, yeah. it's very very difficult for any country to kind of really have a different way of of of. You know, if you're part of the WTO, you're part of a global trading system. Which yeah. allows you to do certain things and 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 only those things. And if you are um, um, going against that, then you, you know you take court to court essentially. So you know there 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 are global things in place that 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 would need changing uh, as, as as well. But 
but you know bringing about change is a complex thing you know and, and it's yeah. sometimes a matter of um one one step forward and two steps back sometimes you know you have a radical flank that does one thing and then you have you know a more mainstream kind of activist crowd that that um is moving most slowly and you know it's not a linear process and and i'm quite hopeful that we can see uh, positive change um you know because uh, you know what i see on a daily basis is that people really want change and people completely yeah. realize that you know we can't just go on like we have um uh, you know along these kind of triple bottom line uh areas not just a question of climate change because climate change i'm sure capitalism can solve climate change uh, i'm pretty sure of that um the problem is um um climate change is not an isolated thing you know it is connected to an ecological emergency uh you know we, we have a massive biodiversity species decline um we you know we have multiple ecological uh dimensions that we are that we are failing on so so climate change is just really one aspect uh and we mustn't forget that and we haven't even talked about the social emergencies yeah. um of those you know of those you know the inequalities between those who have and those who don't uh you know ever getting wider yeah we're in danger of the the dollar having ruled the um <laughs> ruled the the nest ruled the world for a while uh it, it's not all about the co2 you know just this moving to co2 is not enough we've got mining we've got uh, logging as you said any of the biodiversity issues and the loss of what a million species that are at risk at the moment um so yeah i i can see that it's so important that we don't just jump on that one other bandwagon um I, one other question that i've got to ask is what's academia's role in in all of this uh you know it's it's it, it obviously we, we think about it educating the young and obviously it doesn't just educate the young it educates anybody who gets involved but um what what what, what do you think academia has to offer to to the business especially thought, thought leadership so i think that's really important uh knowledge information data uh and and, and not just publish uh good papers in international uh, you know excellent journals but but actually translate this knowledge into into information and knowledge that can be used by by local uh, and uh, local communities by local businesses as well as global businesses so making that knowledge accessible so the way we publish the way we engage you know conversations like this are, are really important for me because um you know, I can write another academic article, another academic book that 10 people uh, or 15 read, hopefully a bit more. But, um, but you know, in, in the end, it's about engagement. Yes. Uh, and I yes. think that's really, really important. And the University of Exeter is, is taking that really, uh, really um, um, seriously. Um, we, we, you know, we had, we had recently a new uh, vice chancellor coming in uh, and, and, you know, for, for whom the place-based engagement approach is really, really important. And, and that's really speaks to, to my heart and, and is, is, is something that I've always uh, tried to practice, which is not always uh, uh, easy because it's time intensive and, and sometimes yeah. you have a barrier of, you know, a, a, practice, a, a practice approach and a theory approach. Sometimes the two don't necessarily always mingle easily in the middle. Yeah. And that, that's always kind of the balance you you know you talk talk to an academic that hasn't run a business or or, or been involved in a business is, is a different academic to to one that has just one last last thought i mean i'm i'm i've been playing an active role in in, in the university in its own institutional efforts to combat climate change and to combat you know uh, the, the the triple bottom line the donut as it were uh, sometimes called donut economics uh, nowadays um uh, you know the, the university universities as, as a whole uh, across the country are often very important anchor what are called anchor organizations yeah. big public institutions who should and need to lead the way so the way we 
procure our food, the way we uh, fly or not fly around the world, the way we show leadership in what we do really, really matters. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, we, we've, we've become much more aware of that as an institution and, and really want to um, play a leader role in, in that and, and, and basically bring our own house in order, as it were. Okay. Well, uh, uh, that's been a brilliant chat. Uh, I have got a few other things that just want to run past you, if you, if we can. You, you, I asked you if you had a tip or an action that uh, we could take, either as business or as personal, that you could that you would share. What would you like to see people do as an action? What I it's, it's a very personal thing. Um, what I you know I, I think working in front of the computer I think yeah most most days and sometimes too much computer screen based work and too much thinking is 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 not good for thinking. You know we need a break. Uh, we need to go on holiday. Um, but you know on a, on a daily basis we need to get our hands dirty. We need to uh, you know we need to engage with the places with the communities. Uh, you know, with with uh, where we live and 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 work. So that that's been really important for me. You know, not just throughout the pandemic, but but you know, been trying to practice that for 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 many years. To to um, yeah, essentially go out and garden. We you know we've we've started a, um, a we call it a veg project. We we uh, where we do veg gardening together with with other families um, and and bring the kids uh, you know introduce kids to to gardening and and veg growing for example um, so you know the, the supermarket global culture of, of food for example you know sometimes it's taking us away from from understanding where food comes from and it's that place-based approach which is really important so I think I mean that can be all sorts of you know um, can be done in all sorts of ways um and i just used food as an example but you know in, yeah. in, engaging with a place getting yeah. your hands dirty doing some woodwork has been really important for me yeah oh, i like that um uh, living in a small community myself it's been actually to a certain extent a, a revelation the, co the covid uh, effect it was a positive one to a certain extent uh, but obviously it has a negative side now, you mentioned you've got a couple of um, publications coming out, a book um, you're writing with a, a Swedish colleague you, you mentioned. So when, when, when are we likely to see that? Um, that book with the Swedish colleague is probably not coming out till next year now. Um, okay. it's, it's taking it's, it's, it's uh, taking a while, but, but um, I've got another book coming out, hopefully published in the next month or so. In the run-up to this all-important Glasgow conference on climate change um, for the nerds, uh, COP26, um, <laughs> and it, it's a big UN um, yeah. run hosted by the UK government, UN run um, climate change conference, where basically you know the countries around the world come together to decide what to do about climate change. Um, so we've got another book coming out, which basically brings together social scientists from around the world and, and really trying to uh, answer the question, why after 30 years of climate change negotiations, <laughs> longer now, why are we still talking about climate change and why are emissions still rising, uh, you know, if we don't happen to have a global pandemic. So we haven't changed uh, you know, we haven't changed the system. You know, the system is currently uh, heading towards uh, climate catastrophe. Wow. Yeah. And, and so social scientists have a particular take on this. Uh, and, and what the book is trying to do is, is basically uh, bring these views together and, and kind of intervene in, in, these, in these negotiations happening in Glasgow and, and um, yeah, ask, ask a few pertinent um, uh, but important questions. Okay, well, we can look forward to that. Is there anything else you would recommend somebody sticks their head into or watches or what would you recommend people read, watch? Well, to continue the food uh, theme, I mean, I, you know, if I have 
spare time and, and still have eyes open enough to watch more stuff online or you have more screen-based activity. I, I mean, I, I, I sometimes really like looking at permaculture uh, uh, videos, that many of which are on, on, on uh, online, on YouTube, yeah. etc. Uh, and you know, there's so much material on on YouTube and kind of people trying to, yeah, you know, not just trying, but really perfect examples of how you can grow food differently. You know, we 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 live in the southwest, and you know, we are we are very used to grass-fed cows and and sheep, and mostly the fields being used for that kind of purpose. And it's such an inefficient way of of producing food, I have to say. I mean, we've become really used to it. Um, but, you know, we can do so much more and so much better with our fantastic climate here in the Southwest. And, yes. you know, we can, you know, there are all sorts of agroecological, agroforestry, uh, permaculture kind of ways of producing so much more food yeah. on yeah. sometimes very small plots of land. And I get inspired about what people do around the world and I stick a video on YouTube and sometimes they have hundreds of thousands of views so there's so many alternatives out there um, so I get inspired by that. Okay well, well I'll, I'll, I'll dig out a few and bung those on the, the show page as, a, as an example thanks for that. Now hopefully you've got a, a few moments so that we can just run through some facts or fakes are you up for this? Yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Brilliant Okay, so um, I'll give you a statement. Um, it might be a fact. It might be a modified fact. It might be a fake. You decide. There are 92 countries with national carbon emissions trading schemes, and China will be start trading on theirs in late 2021. Is that a fact or a fake? Um, 92 both. countries. Uh, I think. I think it's a bit of both i'm not sure i think it's a fact that many are planning to start them and and some of them have been planning to do this for many many years uh, i'm not sure about the exact number 92 sounds a little bit on the high side but but i know it's growing and i know it's uh it's it, many countries have plans like that um but we have very very few who actually have started so i would say um not a fact not, not a fact uh, it's a very nice way of saying fake and you're right um there are 45 countries so i, I doubled it and a bit with national car about 945 um and china started trading on theirs this week or last week um and that i think has just because of just the size of China is is about to surpass the European one that you mentioned is currently the the leading carbon trading uh, scheme. Um, but what uh, interesting one China's scheme is different from those operating in in the European Union is it chosen to focus on reducing the intensity of emissions generation rather than absolute emissions. So what one to watch I suppose as to whether that's that's a, a reasonable focus or not. Well, they, they decided to to start with the most, uh, you know, with the power generation, with the most uh, carbon yeah. intensive industries, which, yeah, which, which is exactly where uh, the EU started initially as well. So it's, it's probably, it's probably wise to start there. But, but, um, yeah, if it takes another 20 years to, to, um, to bring any emissions reductions, then, you know, we have failed. Yes. Okay, number two, um, filmmaker Richard Curtis has launched a campaign called Make My Money Matter with a Green Pensions Charter, which now has 63 signatories. That's just a bit of context. UK pension schemes manage 1.3 trillion in funds. Is that a fact or a fake? Yeah, fact. Fact. That's actually a fake. It's not 1.3 trillion, it's 2.6 trillion. So in terms of, you know, the, the, the power of the pension, um, the, the MMMM, make my money matter. It just intrigued me that Richard Curtis was the one that launched it, but um, he's allowed to have good ideas in all sorts of areas. And uh, also reported uh, on July 21st that there were 11 new joiners, including Tesco's and Travis Perkins. 
Um, so uh, and another fact, these are all fact. I'm throwing them at you just because I thought they were brilliant. Greening your pension is 21 times more impactful at cutting your carbon. Uh, prove that to me, it would be a question. Then going veggie, stopping flying and switching to a green energy provider combined. That, that, that I'd like to see those calculations. Um, and, but, and but it's true. Maybe that's one for, for us to throw at the academics to work through. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a difficult calculation to make because, of course, um, you know, the, the, the pensions invest their money in the companies that are then having scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions and yeah. involving consumers, et cetera, et cetera. So, it, you know, it's a, it's, it's a difficult calculation to make. But well, it's true. It's true that pensions uh, money really matters, absolutely. Um, you know, I had, I had, I've had my pension money in, in, in green, um, in green outlets for, for a long time. Um, but, but, um, what is sometimes green, uh, and, you know, I, have just recently got very interested in ESG, uh, financial, uh, kind of indices and, um, you know, what is marked as green, uh, in terms of, um, um, a share that is, is, is seen as a, you know, a, a having good ESG credentials. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, again, you know, they're, 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 these categorizations, these accounting mechanisms need, need to be uh, unpacked themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and proven. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. But the, 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 the power of the pound is an interesting because we talked about the capitalism system and the, and innovation and capitalism is based on investors. Now, if investors are going to start only investing very, very large funds like pension funds hold in greener, more sustainable technologies or technology industries that have got better sustainable credentials. What are those credentials is another thing. Um, but they, they that could be quite a powerful thing. And you could moving your pension around could change the thought of investors. But um, absolutely, yeah. But dear investor, you've got to expect a slower return because massive growth is not sustainable, really. Well, I mean, that's the that's the thing. I mean, in just my lifetime, you know, I, I actually I did actually do a bank apprenticeship. Uh, you know, I, I I learned banking from um, from the bottom up, uh, as it were. So I worked three years in banking. Um, and that was in the early 1990s. And, you know, in that, you know, in that short historical time, you know, the expectations of shareholders have, have risen massively in terms of the returns they're expecting. Yeah. So, so, so these expectations of what are viable returns on investment are, are you know, they, they change all the time and they have increased massively just over the last 30 odd years. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, it's that, so we're not talk, just talking about growth, we're talking about exponential growth. So, yeah. so yeah. You know, we're expecting the likes of uh, Amazon, you know, the, not, 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 not the rainforest, but, but the, uh, the company, we, we expect them to grow into monumental, big multi-billion pound companies. Uh, and so that's, that's a normal expectation now, which in historical terms is completely ludicrous. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's this kind of growth, as I said, growth in itself is not a problem. It's exponential growth that what we have become accustomed to, that is the problem. And we really need to start thinking about prosperity. We need to think about well-being. We need to think about what do we actually need to live well do we need that exponential growth? And where's that growth and that wealth actually going? Is it going into space tourism? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it appears it. Last thing, you, uh, I don't know, sitting on one TV and watching a, a billionaire shoot himself to the edge of space is, is just a waste of money. But hey, okay then, um, one each we're at. So this is the decider. Um, the Sengwa people of Mbobut Forest in Kenya were violently forced from their homes and dispossessed of their ancestral lands as part of a government plan to reduce deforestation. Is that a fact or a fake? 
I don't know the details of that, but it rings true. Um, the upsetting the offset book uh, and, and other studies that I mentioned before have shown that, that unfortunately carbon offsetting schemes or other well-intended schemes, you know, to avoid deforestation, the so-called red plus schemes, unfortunately sometimes mean that indigenous people are being evicted because now these forests become property of some foreign owners uh, and, and you can't have people living on your property unless, um, you know, unless they're guarding the fences, unfortunately. So it's one of these trade-offs, some of these weird unintended consequences where environmental credentials sometimes uh, uh, sit very uncomfortably next to social justice issues. So um, I stick my head out. I think that's a fact, although I don't, don't know the details of that. Uh, you called it correctly. Yes, you're right. Uh, Amnesty International reported that they were removed, um, uh, never consented to it, never were consulted about it, and they violated both Kenyan international law in doing it. But um, and of course, they're probably one of those very communities that we talked about earlier on, which are were self-sustaining. They, they, they lived in their, their indigenous lands and that that served them to live. Um, and and yet we turn them out so that we can reduce deforestation, uh, the impact of the global north on the global south, predominantly. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a travesty. It's one of these one of these dynamics that are unfortunately on the increase because of climate change, and you know, unintentionally. But that's unfortunately um, what 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 is happening around the world and. Part of my mission is to to map this but also you know for, for talking about these things so that people who pay for their carbon offsetting or you know well intentionally trying to do something about climate change so they know what actually happens with with their money because unfortunately it's it's a story that's not uh enough publicized yes yeah, so the carbon i don't think that illustrated better the carbon justice movement that also yeah. you know is again you said at the very beginning it's a balance between all of those different things so i it just leaves me you you one fact or fake so uh, congratulations on that I'll, I'll take that um you know very nobly and i'd just like to thank you stefan for joining us on the green elephant show great thanks russell thanks for having me it's been a pleasure thank you We really hope that you found this insight into another better business both informative and entertaining. So make sure you don't miss any of our other chats with other better businesses by subscribing to our podcast, available on all good providers, or on the Green Elephant YouTube channel. And please don't forget to spread the word with others. If you have any questions, comments or suggestions on the show, please do get in touch. You can email us, studio at greenelephant.show, or visit our website, greenelephant.show or find us across social at Green Ellipod. Join us next time, and we hope you have a sustainable week. <laughs>